Well, hello there, hockey fans, and welcome back to the Bees Radio Network podcast, episode number 23. And I'm delighted to say that uh, I'm not being joined by a man who's mute, and I'd have to be interpreting his uh, sign language to make sure he can be understood today, because Mark Denham is back, and more importantly, he has his voice back as well. Mark, how are we? Hello. It's nice to speak to you rather than like whisper to you (laughs) at the game at the weekend. You know, (laughs) I uh, struggling, uh, struggling. I was, I uh, even ended up taking a couple of days off of work and all this, because when your voice is the trade is the tool of your trade, it's quite tricky when you lose it. So yeah, obviously took a couple of days off work last week. Wasn't quite at uh, full strength last night either. So I thought rather than sound like some caller that people would hang up on, uh, it's probably best if I stayed even more silent than the whisper that I could manage. Yeah, indeed. And you do sound better for it, more importantly. Well, um, worryingly, some people will be hoping it had stayed away. <laughs> that's harsh. That's harsh. But uh, no, Mark, it was there again. And, and, and once again, it was a, a game against the, the Bison at the Hive where neither of us really want to be there and have to talk about it. But it's our job to do so. Mark, earlier in the season, when I was away, had to call a game uh, where the Bison ran out um, heavy victors. And it was it was a similar story last night as well. I want to wind the clock back 24 hours before that, though. I want to go to the Saturday game against the, the Swindon Wildcats because the weekend started as perfectly as you can imagine with that 6-4 victory on the road in Wiltshire. Um, and it was an outstanding performance, uh, it has to be said, uh, across the team, running into that three-goal lead and then continuing to hold it, to hold it, to hold it and playing some very smart hockey as the game progressed into the third period and uh, riding the waves at times and Danny Milton having a very strong performance in there on Saturday, the defence working hard alongside him as well. The Wildcats didn't get a power play goal throughout that game for a power play unit that just recycles the puck so well. It shows how good the penalty kill played and yeah, fully deserving of that 6-4 victory in the end uh, on Saturday. And that sort of, after how the run had been going for the past couple of weeks, I think that built in our minds, uh, quite a bit of confidence going into the game Sunday. And then just a lackluster opening three minutes basically set the tone for the game as the Bison in the end ran away with it. The Bees obviously winning that third period, but you can't perform for 20 minutes against a team like the Bison. You've got to perform for the full 60. Unfortunately, the guys didn't. Two shorthanded goals, a couple of special team opportunities, um, a couple of one-on-one breaks either way that, that really put the pressure on Danny in net as well. Um, and yeah, in the end, only a two point weekend last night was the catch up game on the Raiders as well. So at the bottom of the table, we've both now played 38 games. The Raiders hold a two point advantage. How much could this defeat on Sunday come back to haunt at the end of the campaign? Well, it, it's, it's a worrying defeat, isn't it? Because as you say, uh, I mentioned last week, we need to get on a roll. We need to get winning. We need to get confident. And we did that on the Saturday night in Swindon. And, you know, like, it's a tough place to go and get a win. And credit to the guys. They went there. They got a win. Great stuff. Come home Sunday, get a win, and you are then right back in that hunt for the final playoff spot because you are playing that one game that you have in hand. And as I've said earlier on, in the season, that game in hand is only of any use if you go on to win it. And unfortunately, we didn't, which now means it's just going to come down, I think, to the battle between the Bees and the Raiders 
for that last spot. But with that said, again, we need to be winning our other games as well, because even if we go on and we lose every other game but beat the Raiders in our remaining series and take the series, if the Raiders don't start losing as well, we're out. So that, I think, was possibly a chance missed to be a turning point of the season, to get right back into it and to say, hey, look, we're not going to be pushed down to ninth. We're not going to be hitting the golf course early. We're going to get out there and we are going to compete in the playoffs. And unfortunately, last night, it wasn't to be. And again, how many times have we mentioned it? That sluggish start was capitalized on last night with uh, Norris and Talbot both scoring within the opening three minutes of the game. And from there, you really are playing backs-of-the-wall hockey, aren't you? From, like, you know, 57 minutes of backs-of-the-wall hockey is not what you want to be doing in your own barn either. So that opening sluggish start again, you know, I'm not saying if we hadn't conceded those two goals, we wouldn't, you know, we would have won because the margin was three anyway. So even if you take out those two goals, but then it would have been perhaps a different momentum going forward in the game. And that sluggish start has happened on more than one occasion and unfortunately has cost on more than one occasion. This time, with that being the game in hand over the Raiders, that was a high-stakes game and it's cost possibly very expensively. Yeah, and it's, it's quite funny you talk about the, the sluggish start there. I want to, again, wind the clock back 24 hours. It really is um, a little bit Jekyll and Hyde, really, because the night before, in Swindon, very similar. That we, you know, how the Wildcats are going to play. They're going to come out and they're going to fire the shots on net. They're going to come in. They're going to battle in the crease for the rebounds. The bees uh, on the Saturday night, that opening session, we're three 0 up at the end of the first period. Yeah, because we've delivered. We developed a strong start. We switched in from the game early door. The Wildcats easily, if a similar situation to what occurred on Sunday, where okay, shots have popped off the netminder. They haven't quite cleared the crease either. There's the, certainly the first goal. There was opportunities to clear the puck, and the puck wasn't cleared. Like just the night before, that had all gone like clockwork. It had gone bang, bang, bang. Yep, no worries at all. Out. Bang, bang, bang. Yep, no worries. Out. It, the simple plays happened that then 24 hours later didn't, and all of a sudden, okay, the team are two 0 down. And even at the point where they've brought themselves back to to, to a two a one goal game, you're thinking, okay, this is on. And then you just see the difference in, in, in two ends of the ice within 20 seconds going one way. Josh Smith has his breakaway. Take nothing away from Ollie uh, Stone here, but a great bit of defense at full stretch with the stick in his hand, getting getting on it so that Josh Smith doesn't even get a shot off on his one-on-one opportunity. And then the puck comes out the other way. Sam Tolbert gets it a little bit caught in his skate, but he's able to click it clear and he's able to get the rush in and get the shot on Danny Milton. All of a sudden, the Bison have restored their two-goal advantage. And it's just the little things like that. If if the and it, look, we can talk all game log about the physical approach, and we've gone in depth on other weeks on the podcast about look. Sometimes you just have to play the smart hockey game. You don't need to play the big crash bang wallop. You don't need to throw hits for the sake of throwing hits if it's going to throw you out of position because it can open up a game. This is all about mental approach. This is, and and even in the dying minutes against Swindon on uh, Saturday. There were two mental lapses that could have cost massively a delay of game call. Two minutes ago to clear it over the plexi is criminal and it should not happen. There is absolutely no excuse for it occurring. But it's that mental block that we have seen too many times with this B's team this season. Again, let's go back to that crucial fact. I keep saying it pretty much every other week on this podcast. 
We have had 19 one-goal games this season and won seven. Mm. That is a mental approach. That is... Do you know what? Like, to get in good physical shape, and I'm not a prime example of this, but to get in good physical shape, you need to put in the hard yards day after day after day. You need to have a routine. You need to have a workout routine, that is. You need to skate hard in training. And you need to have a good diet. Take care of all those three. You will get yourself into good physical shape. And you can't just, when it comes to the summer, say, I'm, yeah, I'm done. I'm not doing anything till September. But you can, at the end of the season, you can have a couple of weeks off, sit at home, feet up, maybe a barbecue. And you can think, yeah, do you know what? This is nice. And then you start thinking, right, okay, let's get ready for the next season. That's your physical fitness. And we've mentioned, I mentioned last week, it is difficult because these are not full-time players. So they are getting their physical fitness where they can into their daily schedules. You know, they all have different types of jobs and to fit that in can sometimes be a bit of a struggle. But what we're talking about here is the, the mental approach. Now, I've never played ice hockey. I have played cricket. And for me, on my way to the game, I was starting to get myself ready mentally for that game. And I think that's something that, you know, there's a lot of youth in our team. And, you know, for them, they're still learning. I think that's something they need to pick up on very quickly. And I'm not just blaming the younger members of our team here because it's a team effort. But in terms of that mental approach, we have had to fight back from a lousy start on numerous occasions, and that can only be mental, if I'm honest. It's in the head. You should be, even before the warm-up starts, you should be ready for the game mentally. You go out there, you have your skate, you get the, uh, the body loose, you get a few shots off, or in the case of the netminders, you get a few shots saved, so you're ready to go physically. But mentally, you should be switched on. By the time you arrive at the rink, you should be switched on. Right, tonight we face the Wildcats. Tonight we face the Bison. Tonight we face whoever it is. And I am 100% ready for this to be able to go out there mentally switched on and give my best for my team for the length of the game, whether that's 60, 65 minutes, penalty shots or whatever. You need to be mentally ready by the time, in my opinion, that you arrive at the rink, I think. It's no point in, you know, having the warm-up and then thinking, right, got to get switched on mentally. You've got to be mentally switched on, ready to go, and know that you are going to be under pressure for 60 minutes. You have to perform, maybe 65 minutes. You have to perform at your best. And in order to do that, you need to have the physical conditioning which we've already discussed, which is more difficult when you're not a full-time player, but to match with that physical conditioning, you can be in the best shape ever. You could be like the best athlete to ever step on the ice. If mentally you're not at the game, then you're of no use to anybody. So, you know, if you're not 100% physically, you can get round it mentally. But if you are not 100% mentally, then you're really, really struggling as an ice hockey player. And let's be honest, you and I have both seen over the years uh, in Slough, it was Gary Stephan who played on until he was 40. And 
if you ask Gary Stefan, he'll say, look, I know by the end of it, I wasn't the player physically that I was in my younger day, but what I still had was upstairs. I knew where I had to be and I knew what I had to do when I was there. And that gave him the chance to go out the British National League champion when he retired. And of course, both of us at Slough and at Basingstoke, both of us have seen Steve Moria, an absolute enigma, played professional hockey till he was 51. And a lot of that, I think, came down to the fact that as well as keeping himself in good shape, and heaven knows how he did it, but as well as keeping himself in good shape, Mo was still very switched on mentally. And that's something I think that these younger players, not necessarily, I'm not talking about like, you know, just the youth, but, you know, the players of this generation perhaps need to encompass, you know, the thinking of the generation before. Players like Gary Stephan, like Steve Moria, who played on and on and on, past their physical best, but were still big impact players because mentally they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously we, we, we've gone very in depth there on, on the mental approach to the game. We, we have to reflect on the physical side for just a second. And I, I, I don't think it's going to surprise uh, anybody who watched uh, either of the games this weekend to say there is a little bit of issue with both our netminders at the moment in terms of injury. Obviously Adam has, has picked up this, lower body injury that he has kept him on the sidelines for a couple of weeks now. And he's almost at the point of returning. I think this weekend was just one weekend too soon for him to be a hundred percent confident to be able to go. So as a result, Danny Milton stepped into the breach and Danny was perfectly good on Saturday. Uh, He was struggling with his injury on Saturday and probably the game time on Saturday exacerbated it further uh, going into Sunday's game. And uh, look, you could see that Danny was, not at a hundred percent. You could see that he was really having to battle. Um, he it, look the the pain that you could see he was in is full credit that he kept going and kept putting his body on the line. Like at well, the he went the game. up and down in instalments yesterday, didn't he? Yeah. But credit to him, he could have just thrown in the towel and said, "Shep, I can't do this. I cannot do this." You know, he played through the pain on Saturday, got the win came out Sunday, and I think from the opening save that he had to make, you could see, oh, he's in a lot of pain. Full credit to him. You know, he did go up and down in instalments, but he did it. He didn't throw the towel in. He took that challenge on for the team last night, and none of us know what Danny went through, but we could all see from around the rink on Sunday night that Danny was really, really struggling. And he kept it going. And I think that perhaps yeah. demonstrates the, the mental approach. And not only that, the teamsmanship of Danny Milton. It would have been easy for him to just skate over to the bench and say, Shep, I can't do this. Goss, you're fitter than I am. You do it. Would have been easy enough to do that. But he didn't. He no. played through. And even Therefore, to the, like, the final shot of the game, where yeah. actually Tate goes in one-on-one, Danny is flinging himself across and on the floor to make the save to keep it at what it does. And that just shows, as you say, the commitment to the cause. Yeah, I mean, do you know what? Like, Dan, I, I feel for Danny because I think he is a very, very good netminder. He is, without a doubt, the best non-starting netminder in the league, I think. And I'm going to throw that out there. You know, like, obviously. If both netminders were at full fitness, you would imagine Adam Goss would get more starts than Danny Milton. But equally, when Danny is fit, 
there are times, you know, like earlier in the season where Danny came in for Adam, there were times where obviously Danny then went out injured. Adam got the net back, but Adam was more, uh, sorry, Danny was more than holding his own. And I really feel for him because there is a lot of talent there. And, you know, like over the years, Danny has done a lot of time backing up and it's a difficult job to back up. But this year when he's been called upon, he has been good. Even last night. Okay. He shipped seven last night. But we could all see Danny was in a lot of pain last night. Danny was movement restricted last night. To have gone on and done that, I think, is brilliant. And you feel for him because if Danny could shake this injury and get fit, he's got a real crack, I think. He's got a real crack, you know, like he, Adam is out injured from a couple of weeks ago. If Danny had stayed fit, then Danny was riding kind of a wave, wasn't he? in terms of, you know, like, yeah, do you know what? I've done all right, and you can't really pinpoint any of the goals on me specifically. I've done all right. And it's tough for him because I think he kind of knows straight away, and I think, to be fair, his body's also telling him, the minute Adam Goss says, look, I'm good to go, Danny's going to be out in the net. And whilst that's harsh for him, I think, as a player, I think in terms of any form of future hockey, Danny needs the break now and the chance to give his body the time to rehabilitate, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, like net mining is a, a horrendously tough job, isn't it? You know, you're moving in positions that you or I wouldn't even contemplate doing. And for Danny, I think he needs to say, look, you know what? I need like a week, two weeks away from actually the pressure of skating and training and playing. I just need to get my body right. And then come back when I'm right, knowing that then, should anything happen to Adam, I can step up and I can hold my own. Yeah, so let's hope both of them are on their, obviously, pathway to recovery ahead of uh, this weekend's game and the rest of the season. Most importantly, that they fully recover. They don't uh, rush themselves back any further than they have to. Uh, I know there were some fans calling for, well, surely we could turn to the Hornets. Surely we can pick a player out of there to go in net. Uh, who are you taking from the Hornets? Are you giving Tommy an call? You're not giving Tommy an call. Are you giving Croyle a call? You're not giving Croyle a call either. Okay, so you're going to put a kid in who might be a bit of a lamb to a slaughter then. You're not going to do that either. It's full credit to Danny for well, going We saw goal that and with do- Romford, didn't we? When they exactly. had the injuries to Gray and to uh, uh, Blaze. Blaze as well. We saw that with them, didn't they? That they had to use a kid uh, to back up. And do you know what? He wasn't bad. But it was lamb to a slaughter, though, wasn't it? Because, yeah, exactly. And you don't you know, you don't want that situation. And that's no. And th- that's the thing. When everybody turns around and goes, "Oh, surely we could just take a player from no," because the worst thing you might do to that kid is completely ruin his confidence. And as a result, he doesn't want to. He, he doesn't want to take the opportunity to come up again. Uh, I'm not saying, for example, I know the guy people are pointing at is someone like Rory Edwards. Rory has got the potential to be a netminder in the years to come. The last thing you want to do is just throwing him in as a young kid and go, "Go on then." go deal with what's going to come at you right here right now and and it, it might just ruin him for the rest of the time because you well, know the opposition development yeah. for a reason don't they so they can develop their skills so they can develop physically and so they can develop mentally and as you say Rory does have potential but he's not fully developed enough in all three elements of the game that you could really throw him into a senior hockey game and say off you go mate go on yeah because mentally he could end up scarred thinking, right, okay, I shouldn't really have done that. 
I'm not ready for it yet. And I made a complete fool of myself and I cost my team a game. And that's not what you want in a youngster. He's going to get his opportunity. And no doubt Rory will get his opportunity at some time. But for the meantime, you want him to continue on his development. So when the opportunity is there for him, he will be ready physically. He will be ready skills wise and he will be ready mentally to go out there and to wear the black, white and gold of the bees and do the very best that he can. He'll win some games. He'll lose some games. But because he's fully developed in all of his skill sets, physical skills and mental, he'll know that, do you know what? I am going to lose games. I'm never going to play my whole career without losing them and it won't knock him. But to have thrown him in, say yesterday, against that Bison lineup or on Saturday in Swindon against Nell, Malasinski, Febris, players like that, you would almost have been saying to him, look, mate, this is your one chance and that's it because you're probably never going to want to come back again. So you know what? It's a tricky one for Doug and I wouldn't want to be in his position on this when you're too main netminders are both carrying injuries. It is a tricky one because your next best option, you could potentially be ruining his future. Long-term listeners of the podcast would have noticed by now that we're back up to like a normal length for the podcast following last <laughs> week's sprint rather than a marathon because uh, there's certainly plenty to talk about. And one thing that going into the game on Sunday uh, really came to the fore was Michael Kleiner. We were all expecting uh, the uh, the Bison man to be missing out on the game after picking up a match penalty for slew footing the night before. Um, but all of a sudden his name appeared on the team sheet and all of a sudden it was confirmed to us by an EIHA official that an appeal had been placed against the slew footing call. Yeah. And it had been overturned. Amazingly, on a Sunday, Andrew Miller and co getting it overturned. Now, I'm just going to state my case here and, and, and this will be it. I've got absolutely no problem with the fact that the review went in. I've got absolutely no problem with the fact that the video evidence has proven that it wasn't a slew footing call. And I've got absolutely no problem with the fact that the league have overturned the call. This is what we want to see the league do. We want to see them work efficiently. We want to see them build these opportunities. But I will say this, though. We are at the moment, start of February. So halfway through the season, the league has changed its rulings on when, when they're going to adjudicate on a, uh, on a, an appeal. What has previously happened is if you've picked up a match penalty on the Saturday, you've had to serve the penalty on a Sunday and then it will go through to appeal on a Monday, a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And then the league will hand down the the disciplinary Thursday or Friday, usually somewhere around there whenever they can get it rolling. If you get the match penalty on a Sunday, you can get the appeal in. It gets heard during the week and you might not have to sit out the following Saturday's game. Now, that's been the process it cost us earlier in the season. We lost Roman Malinik for a game because of the match penalty. And I've got no problem. And I'm really delighted that the EIHA and the League Management Committee have decided, yep, we're going to listen to appeals from a Saturday game on a Sunday so that a player can play on a Sunday if they have been unfairly treated. But you do not change the rules of competition midway through a season. It is not fair on the teams that have been penalised Earlier in the season on this, this is something that should have waited until the end of the campaign. Now, I'm not saying that Kleiner was the only reason the Bison won last night. It's not me trying to come across as sour grapes on that front. It's me saying that you don't get the Premier League football season is always if you get to five yellow, yellow cards, you get a one game ban. They don't halfway through the season go, well, you've got to your fifth yellow card. You know what, mate? 
you don't worry about it. You can play the next game. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. We'll, 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 we've looked at that again. Don't worry about it. No, you've got to be fair to the competition. The league rules are set in stone at the start of the season, and it's what should be carried throughout the campaign. And then the new regulations come in for the start of the new campaign next year. I think we have reached the correct position now in that, you know what? We are the second tier of sport, of this sport in the country. And I think the correct decision has been reached now. It's absolutely ludicrous that if you get a match penalty, let's take the penalty, the slew footing penalty. If you get that on a Sunday, it's fine because you put in the review, uh, you send off the footage, it's looked at, okay, it was called wrong, penalty uh, wiped. And that's fine. If you get it on a Saturday, as the second tier of sport, tough. We're not going to look at it till next week. And that seems crazy. So the correct situation, I think, has now been reached. And obviously, this has set a precedent now. So if anybody gets a match penalty on Sunday, then you would expect that discipline will now review that. Sorry, if anybody gets a match penalty on Saturday, you would expect discipline will then review that on the Sunday and a decision will be made and issued before that team's face-off. That's how it should be. If we are to be seen as a respected second tier in the country, then that is how it should be. How it's come about, though, in the middle of a season, does seem a little bit strange, you know, like if you'd followed the precedent from every other week of the season, and this is what, episode 23 of the podcast, podcast so we are, what, week 22, 23 of the season, um, if you follow the other weeks before this weekend, then Klesner would have missed out last night. There would have been no appeal to be heard until Monday. And that has happened for nearly five months of the season. And then yesterday, out he skates for warm-up and takes full part in the game. Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm glad that he didn't miss a game for an incorrect call. That's correct. Well done. I'm glad that the league have finally decided that they are going to hear Saturday night discipline appeals on Sunday before the Sunday game. Correct. Well done. But 23 weeks into the season, having denied them for 22, that does seem a little bit curious. Yeah. And as I say, it's the right decision that has finally been got there in terms of you shouldn't have a, a basically teens being penalised twice for a misplaced call. It's just the whole idea of the process changing midway through the season, which actually brings me on to something that, uh, for those who don't know, Mark and I have a pre-meeting for this, so we kind of know what we're going to talk about, but I'm going to throw something at Mark, and this was deliberate, and I do apologise to you right now, Mark. Thanks, Graham. In but, but I, I'll, I have I'll, no idea what it is now. I, I know what we spoke about before we started uh, recording, yeah. but I have no idea what you're about to throw out. Because this this is one where I want to get your opinion, and I, I've, I've gauged a, a wide course of opinion on this. And it concerns the Telford versus Swindon Cup semi-final game from midweek. For those of you who don't know, the game went was equal at the end of uh, the aggregate scoreline. So it went to a five-minute overtime period of three-on-three hockey. And then it went to penalty shots, which the Telford Tigers won on penalties. They'll now play the Peterborough Phantoms in the final. Congratulations to both of those sides. My question to you, though, is, Mark, do you feel that the game should have been decided on penalty shots 
Or do you feel that an overtime period, like you see in the NHL when it reaches the Stanley Cup, of 20 minutes, five on five, should have been played instead? Aha, this has been a pet hate of mine for years and you have unleashed me with it now. No, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. Firstly, uh, just coming away from that game for a moment, league play, there is a whole season to decide who finishes one to ten. Why? Oh, why do you have to have penalty shots in a league game where you could just say, we will have a point each because we didn't win after 60 minutes plus five. I mean, three on three overtime opens the ice up massively and increases the scoring opportunity. So in league play, I see no need to ever have a penalty shot uh, competition at the end. I'm not saying obviously if a player is hauled down, yes, there should be a penalty shot. I don't see a need for it at the end. In terms of that, I guess I can see where the ruling comes from in that, obviously, Basingstoke, we'll take Basingstoke for a moment, Basingstoke Bison, run by Planet Ice, who also run Planet Ice, Basingstoke. For them, they could easily make it work. Every other team is a tenant in their building and they will book three hours of ice, whatever, for a game. And I can kind of see where it comes from. So, no, I don't agree with it by any stretch of the imagination. I do not agree with having penalty shots in that uh, situation. The other one that really gets me is when you get to the Coventry finals weekend, where the IHA have the building for the weekend. Now, I know that you have, say, a 230 and a 630 or whatever it is on the Saturday and a, a 12 and a 4 on the Sunday. But surely you're competing for the national final four playoffs. It should never come down to a penalty shootout. Ice hockey is a team game played by teams of players. And a penalty shot is an individual one-on-one competition, player versus netminder. So for me, certainly at the Coventry finals weekend, I would be saying, no, 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 we're not playing penalty shots. You've played three periods. You can't be separated. Stick 20 minutes up on the clock and play. And if you still can't be separated, stick 20 more minutes up on the clock. Go away. Have your 12-minute interval. Come back 20 more minutes on the clock. Let's get a result as a team. Again, when it comes to big cup games, because obviously the cup start off in uh, combined with the league. So again, there are games home and away, and plenty of opportunity to decide which ones then go into the uh, the knockout stage. Again, I think when you get to that, you should be saying to the teams, look, here are the rules of competition, and that is that you will go to extending overtime. Stick up 20 minutes on the clock, and let's get this done as a team. I don't and never have agreed with penalty shots certainly in the league. And I think when it gets to the the big crunch games in the cup, again, I don't agree with them. Play it as a team and just say, look, you know, Telford go to the rink and say, look, we've got a cup game, big cup game, and we're going to play this. And if we don't decide it within 60 minutes, it will be extending overtime as they do in the NHL when it comes to the Stanley Cup final. Because let's be honest, These trophies are not meaningless trophies. 
the the debate will always linger on the league, the cup, or the playoffs. That debate will always always linger on as to which is the the one to win. Certainly, if you're in North America, it's the Stanley Cup. But to win that, look at all the best of seven series that you have to win to get there. I can see why that happens. In this country, for me, I would say it's the league because then you are the best team over the course of the season, September to mid-March. You are the best team over the course of the season. But in order to not devalue the cup and in order to not devalue the playoffs, I think that the teams competing are owed that. The supporters of both teams who make the journey, and let's not forget this was a midweek game as well, so the supporters who have made the journey to go and watch this home and away cup game or who've made the journey and bought their weekend Coventry tickets, they deserve to see, in my opinion, extending overtime and a result ground out by the teams rather than, OK, we've done 65 minutes now. Let's just uh, we'll just have a bit of a hit and giggle with the penalty shots. So interesting because you... you- I don't think it'll come to a surprise to anyone. I'm of the similar point. I was straight away, everyone I've spoken about was like, I can't believe that they haven't played on. Now, the point you make about um, teams owning rinks and, and the rinks, sorry, teams buying ice time off the rinks, etc. These cup games, when they take place at the moment, are taking place midweek. It will be very rare, I would say, that following the game in Telford, maybe 10 o'clock at night, there's another booking going on. So maybe there's an argument to to go the other way. Now, everyone I spoke about this with is kind of of the same agreement, apart from one person who might just happen to be Doug Shepard. And and the point you made about the Coventry playoff weekend is actually the one that has made me adjust my thinking slightly. Because he says, okay, you're the early game on the Saturday in Coventry. Yeah. You have won through and you're going through, no worries at all. You then get the second game that starts at half six, seven o'clock. Yep. And at the end of three periods, it's one all. So you're going to play another 20 minutes. And at the end of that 20 minutes, it's one all. And you've got to play another period of hockey, and so on and so on and so on. Imagine Can I that- just interrupt just one quick thing there? Yep. Because I, the one thing I was going to say, and we've mentioned it earlier, physical, mental preparation for the sport in this country would you really get to 80 minutes still tied? Who knows? Because players are going to be struggling mentally and physically. Who knows? But, but carry on. Yeah. So say you're, that, say you're that second team and you actually get out of the rink at maybe about 11 o'clock. Yeah. And say you have a coach journey back to your rink that takes you until, let's take Hull, it'll be a three-hour journey from Coventry up to Hull. So you're not getting home till two o'clock in the morning. Players have then got to disperse, go back to their houses, etc. Might not drop off till four o'clock in the morning. Then yeah. got to be up again the next morning at about, they've got to be on a coach probably about 11 o'clock to be getting down to Coventry. It's not really fair on that second team if that's how it occurs, is that all of a sudden they've got one, they've played all this extra game time in their legs, again, physical, mental conditioning. Two, the whole just after the game, we the, the 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 getting down after a game to get some rest to actually get ready to go again the next day, it might actually hand an unfair advantage to team one that wins through the first semi final of their of uh, of the weekend. 
And then the other way as well is, okay, say through absolutely no fault of Team 2's own, but Team 1 goes to additional overtime periods. So the game doesn't face off to maybe 8 o'clock at night. They're then getting the repercussions of having to get back after the game and relax and all that as well. So maybe the solution could be that the semi-finals are done on penalty shots, but the final... If it goes to this, if it goes to overtime, does get played through or move it. And I know this is quite tricky. Move it to, and, and this changes every year, doesn't it? The bank holiday weekend, make it a three day thing. So you have semi final one Saturday, and then maybe the under 18s final, semi final two Sunday, then maybe the NIHL one final, and then you have the final on the bank holiday. And then the team, even if both games go to overtime, you are impacting then the under-18 final, but they're not coming back the next day because there'll be a winner decided. You are impacting the NIHL 1 final, but they're not coming back the next day because there will have been a winner decided. So both teams would then get, and I know there's an extra 24 hours involved here, but both teams would then get you know, their game, face it off at one o'clock, let's say, even if it does go to overtime, it's not going to go ludicrously late. Uh, second game on then, and then the next day you face off the semi-final again, one o'clock, doesn't go too late, no matter whether there's overtime or not. Semi-final number two is not impacted by the length of semi-final number one. And then you play the final on the Monday. But obviously, as we know, that bank holiday does shift around. The Easter bank holiday does shift around every year. So then that in itself would kill off my idea. Plus you are then going to get the issue of, well, hang on a minute. We had to play a double overtime game on Sunday (laughs) and you won out in 60 minutes on Saturday. It's a tough one to solve. And I guess I can see Doug Shepard's point of view on this because I'm guessing he'd be reeling, wouldn't he? You know, if like semi-final one, is, uh, you know, let's just say a 5-0 win done in two hours. Uh, And then, you know, Doug comes out, team second semi-final, 7 o'clock, and grinds out a triple overtime win. I can see exactly where he's coming from because then even for us, you know, by the time you've come off the ice, got yourself showered, loaded up the bus, you've got, what, two and a half, maybe three-hour journey back on the coach. You're going to have to get food as well. You've then got to get back to the rink, unload the bus. Everybody's got to get home. I can see where Doug is coming from. But just as a sporting spectacle for me, I'm not really a fan of those penalty shots. And I I agree. Now, having listened to you recanting Doug's point of view, I agree that logistically it is a problem. And this is the thing. Like, uh, look, logistically, I understand it, but I'm still going to say, no, it should go to overtime in every game. I just don't think it's fair for games to be decided. We've seen it at Coventry, games that get decided on penalty shots over the years. I just don't like it. Um, and, and that's not me speaking as someone who's seen a team twice lose on penalty shots in Coventry. But I just I just don't like it. I don't, I don't think it's fair. on. It's not fair to all of a sudden have one player have all the pressure put on their shoulder. It should be a team spirit. It should be a team game. And uh, look, that's how I think it should be. And you, you, you just make it work. Um, I, I and I was chatting. I chatted with Ben from Swindon about this on Saturday, and he had no complaints about it. He wasn't really sat there and 
whinging. I just went, well, I just don't think it's right. And he said, well, no, it's not right. But in the same breath, when you put up Tyler Van Cleef, Aaron Nell and Thomas Malazinski and none of them score in a penalty shootout, you know you've got problems. Which is yeah. a quite magma- a magnanimous, magnanimous, oh, however you say that way of putting it. Yeah. Um, right. Okay, let's just throw this further. I would, if I was in charge, and heaven help ice hockey if that ever happened, but if I was <laughs> in done. charge, You'd be blinking I would. You'd be blinking good at would, it, though, Mark. You'd be blinking I good would it. be blinking good at it. I really would. Uh, I would abandon penalty shots in the league. I get that obviously people pay money and they'd like to see a win. So, okay, let's have five minutes of three on three overtime. But then if that doesn't produce a winner, let's just say, okay, well done, both teams, point each. That would be how I do the league. As it is at the moment, I don't agree with the penalty shots because I don't see a necessity for a winner every game. But not only that, I don't agree with the fact that you then create a league table where some games are three points and some games are two. Don't agree with it. When it comes to those uh, showcase affairs, the knockout games and stuff like that, yes, you need a result. You really do. But as you say, if it's a midweek game, you're not going to be then saying, you know, if you're facing off a midweek game at, say, 7 o'clock, you're not then saying, you know, that there's another game that's going to face off at half nine and we're going to have to cancel it because... What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to cancel a training session, which can then be rearranged and penciled in elsewhere with the rink if you go to extending overtime. And for me also, I know the logistics makes it a nightmare, but the Coventry finals weekend, it's the showcase of the EIHA season. To have it decided on penalties is an absolute no from me. I would be banging the drum for extending overtime and probably upsetting Doug Shepard in doing so as well. (laughs) But I think, you know, logistically, there does need to be a way around it. Maybe that means that we face off semi-final one earlier and then face off semi-final two earlier in the hope that both don't go to overtime because then you're going to have two very grumpy coaches coming back for the final on Sunday. You know, we faced off late because their game went to overtime and then ours did. And we didn't get home until two in the morning. You have two grumpy coaches that way. But I would love to see the extending overtime spectacle. And then it's a test of skill, of mental readiness, and also of stamina as well. So let us know what you think about this. I think that's probably the fair way. Though You can tweet us in at uh, uh, Bees Ice Hockey on Twitter. We'd be interested to obviously hear what you've got to say about it. Because, uh, yeah, it's... uh, it's an interesting one, and I think that sometimes you do forget about these things. That actually, it is the it is the entertainment industry. It's the spectacle that we're in, and there are those people who enjoy the penalty shots at the end of the night. I'm just to be very clear on this. I'm completely against Mark in terms of I think you should go to penalty shots on a league game. I have no problem with it at all. I do. For fi- what reason can I ask? Because you don't need to have a winner in a league game. There are. 50-odd games in the season. I think you do, but I'd, I'd change the pointing of the league with it as well to the point of... So 3-2-1. Correct. So 3 if you win in yeah. regulation, 2 if you win an overtime slash penalty shot, 1 if you lose an overtime slash penalty shot, and then 0 points. I, I do think there is an imbalance there, and that's how I would that's how I would change it. Because I remember I f- that ludicrous situation where you got, um, you got a point each, 
And then you lost your point again if you lost in overtime. Do you remember that? Yeah, ludicrous. Yeah, and it, yeah. That, that those are the ones that sh- that shouldn't count. And that, but I do think that for me, you should you should have a winner and a loser on a night. Um, I think it does bring something to it. Um, I think you can by going to three, two, and one. I think you're going to encourage teams to be more attacking in the sixty minutes to try yeah. and get a result rather than cling on for overtime. And and I hope I think you're going to encourage it. Because teams that can turn it into a three-point victory rather than a, a rather rather than a one-point victory, I think it is very key. Um, and I, I I do think the but the bottom line is, as much as you say you've got fifty-two games to decide the course of a season, that's for the people who are there week in week out. You've got to think about the entertainment side of it. You've got to think about the spectacle of it as well. I do think that at the end of a night having penalty shot, having a three-on-three overtime period, and then penalty shots at the end of the night to decide it, it adds a lot of drama to it. And it is the entertainment spectacle that might bring people back. And it might, you know what? Oh, came and watched it. It was a great game. It finished free apiece. There was this fantastic overtime period. And then it went to penalty shots at the end. And people love that. The old, you know, booing of a player as the, from the opposition as they skate up, maybe being a little bit louder if it's someone they don't like or a villain of the piece. Like you do forget that the sport, is an entertainment. It has its heroes and its villains, and it has its winners and its losers as well. But then anyway, Can I throw something out? Go on, throw it out. Uh, from a different sport. Cardiff, 2009 Ashes. Jimmy and Monty battling for the draw. Yeah. Different sport. He did completely different sports and completely different. Like, okay, so you're saying at the end of the, the World Cup cricket, okay, we had the fantastic super over. Are you saying yeah. that that shouldn't have happened? Well, no, because you need a winner, don't you? And cricket is a, a longer game, isn't it? You know, like, where do you then decide what that super over becomes? You know, let's not forget when T20 first started, there was no super over and you went to a bowl out. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that was, just, I mean, that I think was absolutely crazy because then the batters weren't even involved in deciding the result at all. Yeah. Should it be tied, you went to a bowl out. Should it go to and the yes, guys who've just has... finished bowling 20 overs or the guys who've been sat up in a pavilion for 20 yeah. minutes, seeing their shoulder yeah. seize up? Yeah. You know, like cricket has evolved and England won the World Cup on a super over. But then where do you decide that? Because that was a 50 over game. You know, we're saying here, you add on an extra period in order to solve it. Where do you say, where do you draw the line then in cricket? Do you then say, I know we kicked off at 11 and it's now seven at night. We'll put the lights on and you can bat another 50 overs and then field another 50 <laughs> overs. That's a tricky one. It really is. Ice hockey does have a solution and it does work very well in the NHL and the Stanley Cup final. The only thing is, more often than not, they don't play back-to-back, do they? And there aren't the journeys. That's the other one thing I'll say here, in that you play two games in the higher seeds home rink, two games in the lower seeds home rink, and they're often, let's say, Monday, Wednesday. Then you'll get two days off for a travel day and then a day off, and then you'll yeah. play two games in the home team's rink. So there is longer recovery time but you may possibly be crossing the whole country depending on how it's stacked up in terms of travel. But yeah, there are, it's not back to back days. Is it like we have here in the UK? It's a fascinating one. So we'll be um, definitely keen to hear your thoughts, your opinions on it. Maybe you've got a solution that you're uh, you're sitting on that can solve British ice hockey. And maybe it'd be a blimming good one as well that everybody will be fully on board with and fully supportive of. 
Right then, um, as I said, we're back up to usual time as we tick over well and nearly into the 50-minute mark for this week. So uh, you're getting your money's worth this week, ladies and gentlemen, as you continue your fantastic support of us here on Patreon. Uh, and not to add to the time, I just want to very quickly run through the league table. It is February, just to be very clear to people. February is the official cutoff point when you can start looking at league table tables and announcing them. So... Very quickly, leading at the moment are the Telford Tigers, played 39 with 60 points. They're followed by the Wildcats, played 39 with 54 points. The Peterborough Phantoms sit in third. They've played one game more with 40, but they find themselves on 50 point. The Bison have played 39 with 48, so if they win their game in hand, they will go above P uh, Peterborough in the table. Hull Pirates have only played 37 games and find themselves on 46 points, so they win their game in hands. They'll go up to third in the table. Then there's a little bit of a gap. The Sheffield Steel Dogs have played 39 with 41 points. The Milton Keynes Lightning with 39 played, 39 points. And then another gap as it goes down to the Raiders in eighth place, 38 games, 31 points. The Bees then, where we sit, 38 games, 29 points. And then at the bottom are the Leeds Chiefs, 36 games, 20 points, two games in hand, which will bring them up to 24 if they win them. And obviously returning finally to Ellen Road, starting off in a uh, slightly finished rink with at least some seating in there now. Great to see the Chiefs back in there. Weren't able to pick up a victory on their first weekend back. But the little bit of stability of having a home rink to call their own is going to be very key in the running for them. And who knows? If they put a run together they could cause a little bit of chaos at the bottom of the table. Well, they have just signed uh, a couple of players just ahead of the signing deadline last Friday as well. So you cannot count them out now that they have their home base to work from. They can build a fortress finally in their home base. And let's not forget, a large majority of their games are home games that remain because they've played so, so many games that were road games because they've stacked it up so the idea was that they played their road games and then got their rink, played their home games. That hasn't worked out for them because the rink hasn't opened when it was initially projected to. So they played a lot of designated home games as well. But I think they've got 12 home games left this season and they're going to be building a fortress. So you cannot count them out either. I think eight, nine and 10 all could be a crucial battle as the season runs in now. Indeed, we have one game left against the Chiefs, which is on the 29th of February in the leap year. So we'll get to go see that one. But focus is turning to this weekend. It's a double header against second and third in the table. We begin against the Peterborough Phantoms on Saturday down in Breton. Before we welcome the Swindon Wildcats in, who will be out for revenge following that defeat at the Link Centre on Sunday. And this is one of these curious weekends again. We said it walking into the week last weekend. You could say it again this weekend. You could easily see this weekend being a no-point weekend for the side. But equally, get it right physically. Get it right mentally. We've won in Peterborough this season. We know that we can give Swindon a good game in our final match against the Wildcats this year, unless we draw them in the playoffs. There's no reason why you couldn't be looking at a four-point weekend. Well, I think there is one crucial thing there, isn't there? And that is a healthy netminder. Whichever one it is, whether it's Adam Goss, whether it's Danny Milton, I do think we need to be going into this weekend with a healthy netminder. And, you know, it'd be nice if we could go in with two, but I think that that is going to be a big, big part this weekend because both of those teams are packed with power, aren't they? Stepaniak, Padalek for the Phantoms, Malasinski and Nell. Uh, for the Wildcats, both those teams are packed with scoring power 
And if either of our netminders has to go in below fitness, they could potentially get lit up by both of those teams. So, yeah, there is a potential that this could be a disastrous weekend for the Bees. Um, both teams have beaten us equally. We've both beaten them. But if we get one of those netminders back, then there is a potential that this could be the weekend, and we've said it before, that kickstarts our season and that gets us back up into that healthier eighth spot. Because let's be honest, it's February. You'd rather have eighth spot than be fighting for it from ninth right now. So if we could get up with a four-point weekend, that puts us, I think, in the stronger position. You'd rather have it and be fighting to retain it than be out the playoffs, scrabbling for a place at this time of the season. So let's just look at the fixtures on Saturday across the league. The Pirates host the Lightning, the Wildcats host the Raiders, the Chiefs host the Tigers, and obviously we travel up to Peterborough to take on Peterborough. That's really badly worded for me there. We travel up to Peterborough to take on the Phantoms, is what I should have said. Then on Sunday, the Steel Dogs host the Pirates. The Raiders host the Bison in their only game of the weekend. The Bees will host the Wildcats and the Tigers host the Lightning. So certainly a lot to look forward to. Could be another big weekend. Come on, Wildcats on Saturday. Come on, Bison on Sunday. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. So... Right, we're going to wrap this up for this week. Um, Mark, as always, a pleasure, but how can fans stay up to date with all the latest from the TSI world, Bracknell Bees? Check our website, Blindingly Good. Uh, Bracknellbees.com is the website, and of course, we're quite good at social media as well. That is at Bees Ice Hockey on Facebook, at Bees Ice Hockey on Twitter, and at The Bracknell Bees if you are on Instagram. If you would like to get tickets, they are available as well on 01344 and you probably know the ticket link better than I do. It's skate.jnlbracknell.com, isn't it? See, you can do it the other way, which is JNL. Ah! You can do jnlbracknell.co.uk, and then on the front page is ice hockey tickets. And you can choose your seat where you want to sit in the hive. And I'm hearing rumours it might be a busy one on Sunday. So if you're thinking of coming along, get your tickets secured if you haven't already for that one. Uh, most importantly of all, Mark, what radio jingle is going to play us out this week following Pat, Sh- Pat Sharp's fantastic <laughs> introduction in last week? Oh, uh, yes. It was good to hear Pat Sharp's got all the hits again. I grew up with that. Um, I don't know. which. What, what, what can you suggest this uh, time? I, I, well, I, I don't know, really. I, th- I think, you know what? We might just have to leave it a quiet one. I was looking forward to seeing the bemused youngsters listening to Pat Sharp and wondering that was all, what that was all Who? about. Who? Well, Pat Sharp. Well, for them, yeah. my era, it's Funhouse and Capital. Yours is obviously Capital. And then you've got this dull void. We, we had a conversation after. It's like, it's funny. You don't hear much about Pat Sharp these days. Like, doesn't hasn't really got a radio gig. And we were both like, cool, I wonder, well, now he's getting on, actually, because you imagine it might be a bit tough for him. And then you see he's given an interview to Surrey Live where he says, oh, I'm earning more money now than I've ever earned in my career. And it's like, he's yeah. He's doing all right, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, got no sympathy he's whatsoever. Right. Um, so, yeah, we'll retract that, I think, actually. <laughs> the sympathy that we privately shared last week, we will retract that because he's doing all right, isn't he? I need to get on the retro circuit. Indeed. Maybe that's the thing. I need to get on the retro circuit. This is what we've got to aim for. Let's just do retro stuff. Mark, pleasure as ever, buddy. Good to see you with your voice back. Thank you, Graham. Uh, always a pleasure always a pleasure and to each and every one of you is continued supporters of the bees radio network thank you very much for continuing your patreon sponsorship and we'll see you again next week if we don't see you on the stream on sunday until then goodbye
Radio Network.